1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Another record for stocks, your money hitting another new milestone today, even as J&J's vaccine is paused by regulators. We'll debate what that means to your positioning in the market. We'll also hear from Altimeter's Brad Gersner. He just completed the biggest SPAC deal ever. The Investment Committee with me as always. And joining me for the hour, Stephanie Link, Surat Sethi, Jim Leventhal and Josh Brown. Let's go to the wall. As we said, the S&P hitting a new record high today. Mostly the Dow is under pressure on those J&J vaccine concerns. The FDA calling those cases, quote, extremely rare, says the pause will last a matter of days. This says others weigh in on what the impact the news could have on the reopening of the economy. Josh, new high for growth, the IWF today. That's the ETF. S&P, NAS also hitting new records. What do we do with this news, if anything, that we got about the vaccine?
2: I think if anyone's expectation was that the rollout of vaccines that had been uh, formulated, tested, and approved on an emergency basis all inside of 11 months, if anyone thought that process would be a linear path to nirvana, uh, their expectations were probably way uh, way too high. I think most market participants have not gone into this moment expecting things to go perfectly. And... Every one of these uh, bumps along the way, and we've had more than just this one, have represented buying opportunities. That is why you're seeing record highs for stocks. That's also why you're seeing a, I think, uh, a, a move to quality within the indices. Even in tech, you look at the NDX, right? You look at the Nasdaq at new highs, and yet the Ark ETF in a 22% drawdown. I think that tells you that investors are being more selective and looking for less experimental companies and prioritizing technology and cutting-edge businesses that are if not cash flow positive at least very close so that is a, that is a change the nasdaq 100s at new highs the nasdaq equal weight is not again prioritizing larger stronger companies with better financials and not just going <clears throat> gaga over innovation so I think that's where we are right now. 96% of the S&P above the 200-day. It's obviously a Goldilocks moment. You look at companies like Square. This was in a 30% drawdown. Now back to all-time highs. It's really, really hard uh, to be losing money right now. And I think the big danger is anytime in the past where things have gotten this easy and this good for virtually every stock, that's led to a moment where we pause. Yep. It doesn't necessarily have to be a correction, but like that's what I would say to people is don't get carried away right at this moment. Volatility typically follows moments like this.
1: Steph, the market is largely looking through the J&J news today. Yes, the Dow's down 100 points, but it's largely some of the reopening-related stocks that, that are lower. Morgan Stanley today says we don't expect the overall vaccination effort or timeline to be material impacted by the news. Jim Cramer calls it a speed bump. Dr. Gottlieb this morning says it doesn't change the end point, which is that as we get into May, we're going to have a lot of vaccines available. Perhaps that's the exact reason why the market is able to do what it does today, despite what we're seeing out of the Dow, which, as I said, was somewhat modest.
3: Yeah, my thought is about the reopen and reopen stocks and owning cyclicals does not change because of J&J. It's unfortunate, of course. Um, Maybe we see a pause in the reopen names. We're seeing that a little bit today, but we've been seeing that, Scott, uh, all of April, since we started the second quarter, we have seen a rotation back to growth from value uh, and less cyclical, uh, cyclicals. And that's just mean reversion, because the first quarter value trumped growth. Um, the biggest change, or no change, rather, is that there's no change in liquidity. And that is the thing that has really been driving the markets higher, in, in addition to getting vaccines and to partially reopening. But the liquidity was the foundation. And we still haven't even spent $3 trillion in the last two plans. And you're going to get another one to $2 trillion in infrastructure. And oh, by the way, then there's, there's talk about another one after that. And in addition, the Fed told you a couple of times over the weekend, last week, they're not doing anything. Pedal to the metal there. And the CPI number today gives them a little bit of room. We are seeing an inch up in inflation, but certainly not run away. So they're going to continue to be very accommodative. Those two things are really very big. In the meantime, we don't have a lot of information about J&J. We don't know if it's days or weeks, um, but we do have Pfizer producing $2 billion doses this year and we have Moderna at 780 million and oh by the way we also have 37% of the people in the U.S. being already vaccinated at least once so we have made progress we're not at ground zero so unfortunate news today I would not be surprised to see the reopen names take a pause. They have been. I actually, impl- I actually like that because that sets the expectations low into earnings. But by no means am I selling those names. In fact, if anything, I'm actually adding on weakness.
1: So Farmer Jim, right, positioning-wise, it's a, it's a cyclically tilted environment, right? But this news, if anything, just underscores exactly what Josh says, that you may get some, you know, unevenness. And that means you've got to still have an eye on growth. And that's the reason why you've got the 100 hitting a, a new high today. You have the growth ETF hitting a new high today. So you don't want to move too far away from that spectrum of the market.
4: So, you know, I always, I always vote with my money, Scott. Um, right now, I'm about 60% in cyclical stocks, 40% in growth at a reasonable price stocks. And that's mainly, mainly FANG-type stocks. That's Apple, that's Google, that's Microsoft and Qualcomm. Um, And, you know, what I'm saying with that is certainly I do not think the reopening trade is over. I think we're in a pause. And if you look at individual stocks that are either reopening or uh, just cyclical in general, you can see the last year, take a look at General Motors, take a look at Boeing, take a look at Cleveland Cliffs. These stocks are up massively over the last year, but they have pullbacks along the way. And all they are is a little bit of profit taking, a little bit of consolidation. You have to go back to what Steph was just saying, is there's a ton of fiscal stimulus already in the pipeline with more to come, that is what's going to propel the cyclical trade higher. So it's not over. That question is hanging out there. This trade is not over. But You know, and you've talked with me and I've talked with you about the Fang stocks, and they just got too cheap, whether it was Apple, whether it was uh, Qualcomm. Those are two that I've particularly highlighted where their business fundamentals are tremendous and their share prices came off 15%, so now they're catching up. I think we're in a pretty benevolent situation going into earnings, which is really where the rubber meets the road. I'm looking forward to earnings. That's what I'm looking forward to. I
1: hear you. Surratt, we know a lot of good news is already baked in. Right. I'm trying to figure out, you know, you're putting capital to work. And I want to know what you think of the fact that, you know, Bank of America says, "Okay, as boom as it gets. That's that's the bullish scenario, the Siegel scenario, if you will. Third inning of the boom. That's what he told us. Bank of America says the fund manager survey as boom as it gets. Though then you have Tony Dwyer who says, no, it's time to take some profits. We're extremely overbought. We're heading towards a stall. So which is it?
5: I think it is, could be a stall. I mean, uh, everybody on the panel has talked about, hey, we, we got to consolidate at some point. You can't just go up straight in a, in a linear line. But if I'm looking out a year from now, a couple years from now, I, I think the market is in the third or fourth inning. Uh, fundamentals are really strong. We're going to hear it from companies, as Jim said, I think you're going to see operating leverage work. You're going to see companies that have restructured, re- redone their balance sheets. And I think the time that we're going to see is, you know, what are the next couple quarters of earnings going to look like? And I think for some of the cyclical, some of the financials, the setup is pretty good, and and I think you're going to see them actually perform, and and, and expectations are going to beat. So it really is a combination. I think you've got to be in the cyclical trade, and you got to have the growth uh, as well. You can't just be in one because you get hiccups like today, and that takes some of the pace off the reopening. That brings interest rates down a little bit. So you know, the growth stocks will still keep going, especially the ones that that Jim mentioned. And I like the Googles and Facebooks of the world just as well.
1: Well, why would we pause? Do you agree with Dwyer? I mean, are we we that overbought? I mean, Josh laid out a pretty positive scenario. So did Steph, right? There's so much optimism about the reopening. The Fed chair has already come out and said multiple. I mean, some people are trying to spin the 60 Minutes appearance as being hawkish, where, you know, that's not what I heard. And Jeremy Siegel said to us the other day that the conversation that he had with, Sarah Eisen, which I've referenced uh, every single day since she had it, was he had never heard a Fed chair more dovish than Jay Powell was on that panel that Sarah moderated. So are we trying to are we figuring out trying to figure out again where the Fed chairman currently stands, what that means for stocks?
5: Uh, I think it's just trying to get too cute, Scott, honestly, as a long term investor. If we get the pullback, nobody knows what the reason the pullback could be. It could be something geopolitical at this point. It could be oil goes to ninety dollars. But I think fundamentally, in the short term, you could get something like that. But longer term, I am bullish. And and if Tony Dwyer is right, then it gives you an opportunity to to put more money to work. And if he's wrong, then you're going to miss the pullbacks like people have been calling. Yeah, it but what I'm trying to figure year. out. What, so, what, uh, I,
1: what I'm trying to figure out is, do you think we're having a pullback or not, Sirat? You got to put money to work in the market. Are you buying stocks? Are you waiting for a pullback? What uh, are you doing?
5: I'm buying stocks. I'm not waiting for a pullback. I'm putting money to work. I put fresh money to work today as well. And, you know, uh, in the last week to a new stock. So, yeah, if if we get a pullback, great. But otherwise, I'm not waiting for
1: it. Inquiring minds, do do want to know? What's the new stock you put money into? I want to know right now.
5: (laughs) Here you go. Alanco. uh, It is the number two player in animal health. It's uh, behind Zoetis. Trades at a 25% discount. They made an acquisition last year of Bayer Animal Health um their margins can go from you know low 10 to 30. they're a delevering story and i think you've got great secular growth there with a management team that's got a diversified product base so i like it it's cheap it's out of favor it's down for the year um and we bought it
1: all right uh just pause for one second we have a news alert uh on apple who has that for us josh lipton
4: Scott, Apple just now sent out
2: invitations to its next big event. The invitation reads Spring Loaded, it says. Please join us for a special Apple event from Apple Park. Watch it online at Apple.com, April 20th at 10 a.m. Pacific. Now, we don't know what's coming, Scott. Uh, obviously, there have been rumors and reports that Apple could have new iPad Pros on the way. Um, we know iPads have been a bright spot for Apple. More people working, learning, and playing from home. Uh, you'll recall in that last reported quarter, they said iPad revenue jumped 41%. Who knows, maybe those long-rumored Air Tags as well. We're going to soon find out. Again, the next Apple event Mark your calendar, April 20th at 10 a.m. Pacific. Scott, back
1: to you. Josh Lipton, thank you so much. Farmer Jim, look, this was a stock that was just stuck at 125, it seemed. Been moving up of late, right? It's gotten yeah. up off the mat, gotten out of bed because it was sleeping for a while. It's at 134, we'll call it, almost that. It's a 2% gain. What about this news? And you, you've bought the stock, you, you've bought more of the stock twice in recent weeks.
4: That's exactly right. And we can talk about the beauty of the business, whether it's the services, whether it's iPad, iPhones, whatever it is. But how about if we just keep it simple, Sailor? Look at the chart over the last month. I mean, I'm not as good as a a technical analyst as, as Josh is, but my goodness, what a breakout. It's just unmistakable. When you see this, you ride it, especially if the fundamentals are as positive as they are for Apple, which I believe they are.
1: Yeah,
2: Josh? Look, I think the majority of our viewers are at a minimum equal weight Apple in their portfolios by virtue of the fact that it is in virtually every major ETF slash index fund and most actively managed funds, too. Um, When you think about the sheer size and scale of this company uh, and all of the various indices and sectors it belongs to, it's growth, but it's also uh, dividend, right? It's tech, but it's also Dow Jones. So it's I mean, it's it's very rare that people will not be in the stock. So then the question is, well, how much bigger do you want to be versus what it already, like do, you, like, do you want to be 10% Apple? And I think for most people, the answer is not really. I'm happy with the amount of exposure to Apple I currently have between my 401k, maybe I own some shares, et cetera. Um, it's not a cheap stock anymore the way it was just a couple of years ago. It's definitely not a value stock. Um, but I think it's also hard to categorize, like, would you consider Apple to be reopening or stay at home? What if I told you it's both
1: hey, and I can make the case there are philosophically? Are people, you, you could so probably make the case, that, there are people who make the case, forgive me for interrupting you, that, that <laughs> Apple's a consumer staple. It should, it should get a valuation like a, a, a consumer staple.
2: Look, let me, let me just say it this way. Why don't you let them screw up before you get bearish on Apple, right? Like, you think about all the time spent, analysts, sell side, you got 50 analysts on Wall Street covering this thing, nudging our price target up, up or down by 3%. What is the point? It's a clear uptrend, Jim is right. The company fundamentally has not disappointed Wall Street. Why don't you let them screw up two quarters in a row and then change your mind to get bearish? Until they do that, hasn't really happened in the Tim Cook era. Right. Uh, what is the purpose of, of like micromanaging this position? It's a home run. It's been a home run. Let them screw up before you, you want to get cute with whether or not you want to be underweight uh, Apple. I don't think you do.
1: No, I get it. But, you know, look, multiples, you know, this was the Katie Huberty thesis. Uh, what was it, last week, I think, where she she dropped the target by, a, by a, you know, a few bucks. She still has overweight ratings. She's looking at some of the peers services and services and seeing there. multiples come in. And I know you, you didn't like the call that the day it happened, but she's a bright analyst. And nonetheless, still she's don't. thinking about things like that. Let's talk about the other big story in the market today, and that is the biggest SPAC deal ever. Altimeter Growth Corp taking the Singapore-based ride-hailing, delivery and financial services and just about everything else company, Grab, public in a transaction that values that firm at $40 billion. Altimeter's Brad Gerstner joins us now exclusively. Congratulations. Good to see you. I, the, now you, you get to take the trophy now, the biggest SPAC deal ever.
6: Uh, well, it's great to be back, Scott, and, and I love Uh, The banter between Josh and Steph, uh, and I'm thinking about a lot of the same things, but I think we can all agree that when you look out over two to three years, you want to be invested in technology. Uh, And when I came on uh, last fall to talk about our investment in the Snowflake IPO or earlier this year to talk about our investment in the Roblox direct list, I said, we're really not in the SPAC business. You know, we're in the business of partnering with the most important technology companies in the world at all stages of growth. And one of those stages is as they step into the public markets. And so when you think about Grab today, they're leveraging the full complements of the Altimeter Capital Markets platform to go public. And it's one of those companies. We're thrilled to invest in it. It's an iconic global internet business, the category leader in mobility, in delivery and in payments. In a very large and fast-growing region in Southeast Asia, um, so we couldn't be happier than to, to partner with with Grab and
1: take this next step into the public markets. What do you make of the reaction of the stock we're looking at, your your, your SPAC, that it's down uh, today? What do you what do you take? What should viewers take away from that?
6: Well, I, you know, I don't I don't spend a lot of time thinking about one day movements. The fact of the matter is, it looks looks like it's up uh uh you know from the ten dollar reference price uh by by over 30 percent um and you know we'll let ultimately the market determine what fair value is for the business um you know we're we're placing our bets uh people know where we stand and we think in the fullness of time as people understand uh the business they'll realize that this is a spectacular investment just as c limited has been Uh, For many investors in Southeast Asia,
1: we are looking at a valuation, as I said, of some 40 billion dollars that doubles what it was about 18 months ago. Brad, that's certainly raised some eyebrows. I want you to listen to the comments earlier today between Jim Cramer, (laughs) David Faber, who follows SPACs closer than anybody else about this valuation. We can react on the other side. Here's those two guys. Valuation based on what? What happened at the company that it got double? Tell me, David. I don't I don't have an answer for you. And I think that's the appropriate question to be asking at this point. It is the appropriate question to to be asking. What's the answer?
6: Well, first, let me let me say, you know, when I came on air and talked about SPACs, I think Kramer's uh, approach to a healthy dose of skepticism about all valuation is a good one everybody should do their homework everybody should do their diligence and you know and form their own opinions we've done ours let me what was missing from that segment was it was any context or numbers what's happened in the last 18 months is dramatic growth and so you're looking let's break down the business into its three components you have the fastest growing and market leading rideshare business in all of southeast asia remember this is 650 million people in this market in a much earlier stage of digital penetration in the US, so growing much faster. Um, their profit margins in each of those markets, as far as we can tell, are the highest ride share profit margins of any company on the planet. Number two in delivery, they are the market leader in every country in delivery. This is not only food, um, but also groceries. Think DoorDash or Uber Eats plus Instacart. And then on top of that, You know, they're starting to deliver all what I call instant commerce, all the things that you might want to have delivered in the next two to three hours. So that is a massive TAM, a growing business. And we're in the early, early single digit penetrations in that business. And I think they've already mentioned they're profitable in five out of the six markets. And the third business, which may is probably the one that's most controversial, but the most exciting is the fintech payments business. In this part of the world, there's very low credit card penetration. It's still largely a cash economy. There is no PayPal. There is no Venmo. There is no Affirm, buy now, pay later. There is no digital banking. And they've spent the last three years procuring the licenses, investing aggressive amounts of money to build out that entire FinTech stack. Our belief is that not only is their digital wallet already the largest in the region, the Malaysian government used it to distribute COVID stimulus checks, but we think it will be one of the largest payments in FinTech businesses uh, 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 in the region and on the planet before all is said and done. I, I, and so that's a business where they're making big investments, will continue to make big investments, but they have two very profitable businesses
1: uh, that will lead to consolidated profitability in the not too distant future. For, forgive me for, for interrupting you there for, for a moment. Um, Everything you, you just said could be used to say, OK, that, that could have been the, you know, the, the pitch a, a 18 months ago and say this is why it's a 20 billion dollar business. But it, do you think it's a it's a, it's fair to sort of wonder how you double evaluation in 18 months and what that potentially says about the current environment that we're in? Yeah.
6: Well, I, I think it's cherry picking, to be honest. I could give you 100 technology companies that have doubled their valuation in the last 18 months. Um, the fact of the matter is we've had a dramatic change in interest rates. We've had dramatic expansion in terms of multiples that we're assigning to these businesses. We've seen massive digital acceleration, right, just as Uber announced yesterday. There are, now, I remember you and I talking nine months ago, and people were saying, could they ever be profitable? They announced yesterday a $52 billion run rate for their global delivery business, right? So I think the skeptics will ultimately be proved wrong. Um, fascinating with you know, evaluation without looking at numbers or re- without really understanding the business, right, doesn't get you anywhere. But I would encourage investors. They should all be skeptical. They should all do their own homework. They should all dig into the numbers and make a decision for themselves. Um, we've made our decision. A lot of other world class public market investors uh, like Fidelity and BlackRock have made their decisions, but we'll leave
1: it to uh, uh, all other investors to make theirs. That's what makes the market. What's, what's your, speaking of the pipe, I, I know some are, are asking on Twitter to ask you at what price the, the pipe investors uh, got in at.
6: All, all of the, the, the pipe is, is priced at the, the, the enterprise value that was in the release
1: Uh, And the reference price to that is ten dollars. I got you. You've also agreed to a three year lockup, which is somewhat uh, out of the ordinary, if you will, uh, for the typical SPAC, usually maybe it's six to 12 months. Why did you do that?
6: Well, again, as I said on air with you, um, I think it's really important that we have competition in the IPO market. The direct list, which Roblox did, was a very important innovation, gave them an opportunity to step into the public markets in a way that better matched their company values. And Grab found that the Altimeter IPO, the Altimeter Founders IPO, was a better match for them. And our vehicle is the SPAC. But we need to set a gold standard right, for what it means to bring a company public through any of these three doors, whether it's a traditional bank IPO, whether it's direct listing, or whether it's leveraging a SPAC. And so for us, there are a couple elements that we think are important there. Number one, we think it's important that the sponsor makes a significant investment, right? So that they have skin in the game. And for us, we thought it was important to match our sponsor uh, uh, lockup with the same uh, future forecast that the company gave. So the company gave a three-year forward forecast as part of this transaction, and we're locking up our sponsor uh, shares for that same three years. We think those are two steps among many others, right, that will lead to better transparency, better disclosure, better alignment among investors, and that these will become important hallmarks if this is to become as important a pathway to the
1: IPO market as we believe it will. You'll also donate 10 percent of the promote to the company's grab for food fund. I want to I want to mention that it's important. I'm wondering what you sort of think of the the total environment now for, for SPACs. I mean, there are days where we are going where none price which is so out of the ordinary for where we've been week after week, month after month. Are we getting towards the curtain coming down?
6: Well, I I think the new normal, as I've said, is going to look a lot like the old normal. Um, We're not going to have hundreds of SPACs going public. Um, There are going to be some scale players that really invest in building out their capital markets capabilities, that really invest alongside these companies, that are willing to lock up Uh, their sponsor shares. And remember, at the end of the day, you can only take a company public if there are public market institutional and retail buyers who want to buy the company. And a lot of the companies that have gone public or that are proposed to go public, frankly, shouldn't be in the public markets. And so, yes, we think there's going to be a shaking out. Zero percent interest rates led to a lot of excitement and a lot of participation. But ultimately, we think this is going to be a very good alternative and provide needed competition that's really valuable to the employees and investors in the tech
1: companies that we follow so closely. Let's do this. Uh, Josh Brown, who's on the panel with me today, has a question. I'm going I'm to have him ask that. We'll, we'll do that. Then we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about the markets more broadly, uh, if that's OK with you. Josh Brown, Sounds go ahead. Great.
2: Hey, Brad, congratulations on the deal. Uh, What is SoftBank's intention? Are they sticking around? And uh, just philosophically, you would agree that everybody that launches a SPAC says we're not like all those other SPACs. Um, (laughs) Do you really think that this could have gotten a $40 billion valuation if it were a traditional IPO with a roadshow with multiple syndicates gauging interest from millions of investors like – I don't mean to be overly skeptical. I'm just curious on your take because I'm
1: sure other people ask you that too.
6: Scott, can I go now? Or yeah after no, the no, 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 I'm
1: sorry. Yes. Please you go now and then we'll take the break. We'll come back and we'll do markets. Yeah. But yeah, it's a great question by Josh. Please answer. Yeah,
6: yeah no, I, th- I think there are two things there. Um, you know, Softbank has been, uh, you know, an important global investment uh, or global investment partner in almost all ride share companies. They continue to be in grab. We're grateful, uh, you know, for the work they've done to get grabbed to this juncture. And we think over the fullness of time, they'll probably have to realize some of their investment returns. Um, but you would have to ask SoftBank as to their intentions. We know there is a tremendous amount of demand from global institutional investors that would be happy to buy those shares. In terms of the roadshow, Josh, listen, we went out and talked to 50 to 100 of the world's most important public market investors. They all weighed in here. We were very oversubscribed. So, no, I don't think uh, that having more people involved would have led to a lower price. If anything, it might have arguably led to a higher price. But what I would tell you Mm. um, is that Altimeter's involvement, I do believe, That our own forecast, our own willingness to help translate this company to U.S. and and other global investors to invest a lot of our own money, right, did uh, lead to more confidence by a lot of institutional buyers uh, in the company. So I think it actually got the company a higher price than they might have otherwise gotten, Mm. which I think is great for the employees of Grab. Great for the investors in Grab and well-deserved. All right, we'll take a quick break. Uh, As I said, we'll come back more with Brad
1: Gerstner coming up next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Altimeter's Brad Gerstner is back with us. We uh, continue to show you uh, AGC, again, that deal today with Grab, the biggest SPAC deal ever. Uh, It's gone positive now. uh, So apparently investors like the story that you're talking to us about, Um, Brad. Let's talk broad market, if we could. You were with us, let's call it a month ago, right? March 10th. You said we were, quote, somewhere in the middle of the correction for growth stocks. Here we are, NASDAQ 100 record growth ETF is up 9% since then, record. Has the correction now run its course? Um, well, I remember that well, Scott.
6: And, and as you recall, I said, we had been adding to our shorts um, in in December and January as we worried that, that the 10-year was going to tick up, we were gonna have a reversion to the mean on growth multiples, but that we might have a little bit more to run. In fact, we did run a little bit more um, and then we began closing out uh, a bunch of those short positions. So as I always do with you, I'll just share our, our exposures today. We're um, at about 105% gross long, about 20% gross short. Um, so follow people and their money, don't, don't follow their words. We're pretty exposed to the market here. Um, but again, we run a concentrated portfolios and we take a long-term view as to the markets. Um, I, I have no idea what's going to happen in the markets over the next 90 days I think a lot of it will depend on what the 10-year does um, because a lot of the multiple expansion and contraction is what's leading to these price movements. Um, but I do have a strong opinion on what's going to happen over the course of the next two to five years with our big holdings, uh, you know, companies like Snowflake, companies like Uber, uh, and now companies like Grab. And we think the future looks very bright.
1: Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School was with us earlier this week. He said that we're in the third inning of the boom and essentially there's nothing to worry about until the fed's first signals that it's going to do something on interest rates does that sound right to you
6: well i've never been very good at timing the fed and um uh, but i would say that that listen as i said before interest as interest rates go higher we we apply a higher discount rate to the future cash flows of right these growth equities and the higher the growth rate, the more impact it has on the ultimate valuation of the company, because you're discounting that high growth rate back at a higher, uh, a higher discount rate. Um, and so it, it, mathematically, it does have an impact. But honestly, I think that it's not great advice for your investors to try to be guessing uh, the direction of rates and what the Fed's going to do. Find companies you love that are disrupting markets, that are uh, you know, doing good things in the world, Uh, Put your money there and enjoy your life. Don't spend every day trying tick to tick to trade these things. I think it's
1: too hard and not a particularly uh, 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 high returning investment approach. You had added as well the last time that you had taken a bunch of your hedges off, right, which you just briefly discussed there, and that you were adding to positions that you liked. Can you give us an idea what stocks in your book you, you have been adding to? let's say, over the last four or five weeks since we last spoke? Well, I would say that, um, you know, our big core positions,
6: um, you know, are are already, uh, you know, well over a billion dollar position. So we haven't really been adding to those positions, um, but we haven't been selling those positions either. But we've been adding new names to the book, some of which you see, uh, you know, that we announced in the form of Grab. $750 million is a huge investment. Uh, in a very important company. Another announcement today by us, uh, a significant investment by us in Epic Games, uh, an investment in StockX, all companies that are pre-IPO, but we expect will be public companies. Obviously, our investment um, uh, in, in Roblox, uh, which is now public and a company we're very excited about. Um, so those are the types of names, um, but you know, we are strongholders of the big names that we own. And, and we think that they present compelling investment opportunities from here, especially on these pullbacks. Um, you take a company like Snowflake, it's had a significant pullback, um, as I suggested to your viewers that it might. Um, as it got ahead of itself. But now you're in a position on, you know, this iconic business, I think, to compound at very compelling rates of return
1: over a one, three, and five-year investment horizon. Let me ask you this before I let you run. Um, You are, you know, nicely exposed to the travel space. Give us your sort of broad view of the stocks you have, right? I haven't talked to you about United in a while because we've been so focused on these other stocks, whether it was tech or the SPAC or some of the other investments that you've made. Are you as optimistic today about United as you have been in the past? And what about the other exposure you have to the reopen and getting back with the rest of our lives? Well,
6: I, you know, I absolutely believe that we are all uh, thrilled at the opportunity to begin traveling again. Um, The airports are going to be full. Hotels are going to be full. Um, And on that recovery trade, we've already seen a lot of these stocks bounce ahead of that. But remember, in the case of the airlines, the balance sheets of those businesses and the equity returns are going to look much different in a recovery world because of all of the debt and equity they took on um, at at the bottom of the COVID crisis. So, again, do your homework. Um, You know, we think it's a very different industry coming out of COVID than it was going into COVID, in some ways better, in some ways worse. Um, But there are lots of other companies, whether it's an Expedia or a Booking.com or Airbnb um, uh, and certainly, uh, rideshare. Um, I think you know Uber's report yesterday. Uh, they were on your air saying the month of March, uh, mobility plus delivery was their highest month of bookings uh, that they've had in the 12-year company history. Shows you the power of the reopening that's just getting started. Mm-hmm. And one thing I would say that we're seeing in early data, and we're seeing this in both gaming, rideshare, delivery, etc., is that the patterns that developed during COVID, whether it was uh, higher usage of of Fortnite or Roblox or whether it was higher usage of delivery services like Uber Eats, um, those patterns seem to be sticking. We're still early in the comps, but if you look at names in China, which is now comped over the COVID uh, numbers uh, before we did, and if you start to look at areas from Singapore to New York, it looks like these patterns are, de- are turning more into habits. So you could see these delivery numbers, these gaming numbers persisting, even when the world opens up.
1: Yeah, and you still have to be selective, obviously, right? Well, what is sticky in terms of gaming and the, and the Uber sort of stuff, which is only gonna, gonna pick up may not be the same for some of those other stocks in that universe that got a nice boost from you know the pandemic and staying at home. Congratulations no, to I- you. I'm sorry, fin- I'm sorry. I, I you know, you, you,
6: you, you certainly have to be selective. I, I, I just wanted to end with this. Um, you know, uh, you mentioned grab for good. Um, and there's been a lot of debate on your air and otherwise, you know, over and in the halls of Congress recently as to whether or not capitalism is a force for good. Um, and I am a strong believer that the greatest form of innovation, whether it's developing new vaccines or whether it's lifting people out of poverty, giving five million drivers, Uh, a job in Southeast Asia, lifting up micro entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia, a company like Grab is having is very values driven, very mission driven. Not only does their very business create a better world in Southeast Asia, but now they're with the founders, we're putting over 200 million into the Grab for good Fund, which is going to further uplift those micro entrepreneurs and those drivers. Um, And so thrilled to be investing with them and alongside them for for the road ahead. Appreciate it. Yep.
1: You bet. Uh, Welcome anytime. I'll Always enjoy the conversation. Congrats again. Biggest SPAC deal ever. Brad Gerstner, Altimeter Growth uh, Corp. We'll talk to you again soon. Let's get the headlines now with Rahel Solomon.
7: Hi, Scott. Hello, everyone. President Biden plans to withdraw all U.S. troops from Afghanistan by September 11th. That's according to a senior administration official speaking with NBC News. It'll be months later than the May 1st deadline, set in talks between the Trump administration and Taliban insurgents. President Biden also called Russian President Vladimir Putin today. He raised concerns about the Russian military buildup along the border with Ukraine. He also urged Putin to help de-escalate tensions in the region. Iran says that it will start enriching uranium to 60%, higher than ever before for its nuclear program, though it's still short of weapons grade. The announcement comes after an attack on a key Iranian nuclear facility. And back here at home at the Derek Chauvin trial, the prosecution has rested, and the defense has begun to lay out its case. Its first witness was a former police officer who described an arrest of George Floyd that happened a year before his fatal encounter with Chauvin. You are now up to date. Halftime will be right back after this.
3: What does it mean to be rich?
1: We're back. The committee making more moves. Stephanie Link, tell me about the ticker symbol PLAN, Mm P-L-A-N.
3: Yeah, plan actually was my final trade last week. Um, I didn't own it at the time, but a few days later I decided to buy it. Um, I recommended it as a final trade because it was down 20% um, on the year, uh, down 31% from its February highs. It's had a nice bounce since then, but I still like the progress that this company is making in terms of seeing improved billings and revenues on a sequential basis. If you look at calculated billings, they have beaten the last two quarters, and sequentially they're improving from up 10% to up 22% to up 27% if, if you look at the last couple of quarters. And calculated billings is just another fancy way of saying new business wins. And I think they are gaining momentum. By the way, what this company does is business planning software in the cloud. So I don't have a lot of cloud exposure other than Amazon, other than Alphabet. And I wanted to own something with a little bit more beta. And this one I thought was down and out at the right price.
1: All right. And Surat, you sold KSU, Kansas City Southern. Tell us why.
5: Uh, I did. Uh, so KSU is merging with C- Canadian Pacific. I bought the stock a couple years ago. It's done everything we wanted to do. The multiple expanded. The earnings went up. Stock's up almost 30% for the year. So I uh, just wanted to put some, take some money off the table and put it into some other stocks like Alanco that we talked about earlier in the show. Okay.
1: Well, you're entitled to do that, I suppose. All right. Every, every once in a while. Mm-hmm. All right. Plain orders at Boeing hitting two-year highs. The stock now named the best idea heading right into earnings season, which means we'll debate it. And we'll do it next. Shares of Boeing are higher today after reporting strong orders and deliveries for the month of March. Goldman also now names it a top idea for earnings season. All right, Farmer Jim, you talked a lot about Boeing, and it seems like things are picking up at the right time.
4: Yeah, they are picking up. And, I, you know, I want to be helpful to everybody who's watching. Please, if you talk to me about this stock, don't tell me it's overvalued versus this year's earnings or that they're only delivering 500 planes versus 800 planes two years ago. You have to look forward with this stock. If you're looking backwards, you're missing the point. And the point is air travel is seriously picking up. By the way, nobody's talking about it, but fuel oil prices are high, and they're probably going to go higher. So you have to have new planes in order to get the most fuel efficient and and, uh, improve your margins as an airline. They're delivering 737 Maxes. They're getting orders for 737 Maxes. The pullback from the recent high of about a month ago is just the classic three steps forward, two steps back in this name. This is where you're supposed to buy it. Last thing, Scott, I'm just going to repeat it from Friday. If you're going to talk to me, not you, but anyone's going to talk to me about, oh, the wiring issues on the 737 Max, you might as well tell me you don't like the color of the carpeting in those planes. It's irrelevant.
1: Yeah, they got more than... They, they won more than they won more than 200 new max orders. Should also let you know there's a briefing underway at the White House where Dr. Fauci is currently speaking. Let's listen in here.
8: Thank you very much, Jeff. Um, just to follow up a bit and maybe uh, fill in uh, a couple of points from what Jeff said and what our colleagues in the FDA and the CDC said uh, earlier this morning at the press conference. Uh, a couple of issues uh, come up of of the importance of of uh, calling this pause uh, because people say, what does a pause mean? It really allows both the FDA and the CDC to further investigate these cases to try and understand uh, some of the mechanisms of what it is, some more details about the history of the individuals who are involved that might shed some light on looking forward, what will happen and what we will do. That's the first thing. The other thing is to make physicians out there aware of this, and there are some clinical implications of that that I believe are important. For example, if someone comes in with this really rather rare syndrome of thrombotic thrombocytopenia, where you get thromboses, and when you have thromboses, the most uh, common way to treat that is with heparin that would be a mistake in this situation because it could be dangerous and make the situation much worse so there's a clinically relevant reason why you want to make this known to people also when individuals particularly younger women who might come into a physician with a particular thrombotic phenomenon which is things that happen for other reasons all the time that we want to alert physicians to take a history of a recent vaccination. That would be important. So the pause not only allows us to take a look at the cases and learn more, but it is also a signal out there to help the physicians. A common question, and I'm sure we'll have a number of questions, which Jeff and I will be happy to answer to you, but one of the questions that comes up already rather frequently, does this have anything to do with the efficacy of the vaccine. So we know that there have been 6.85 million doses of J&J distributed in the United States thus far. So someone who maybe had it a month or two ago would say, what does this mean for me? It really doesn't mean anything. You're okay. Because if you look at the frame, the time frame, when this occurs, it's pretty tight from a few days, six to 13 days from the time of the vaccination. The next question is one that we're all obviously aware of. What impact is this going to have about people's attitudes about vaccines in general? So you might know that there have been now uh, 120 million people that have received at least one dose of a vaccine. Most of that, subtract the 6.85 million, is in the messenger RNA from Pfizer and from Moderna there have been no red flag signals from those. So you're talking about tens and tens and tens of millions of people who've received vaccine with no adverse effect. This is a really rare event. If you look at what we know so far, there have been six out of the 6.85 million doses, which is less than one in a million. So remember, this is something that we always, out of a really out of an abundance of caution, as Jeff said, to give us a time to take a good look at it and see if we can get further information. So I'll stop there, Jeff, and we could obviously take some questions.
6: Right. Mary,
5: you want to
7: kick us off? You've described this as a
4: really rare
7: event, but this does seem like a pretty drastic step. Uh, do you believe that the scientists sufficiently weighed the benefits of this
4: pause against the damage or risk that this could do to the broader effort and, and the impact it could have on vaccine hesitancy?
9: Well, Dr. Fauci, um, maybe you'll go after me, but I want to say that we have plenty of supply. So I mentioned that we, for the last several weeks, have been sending 25 million doses out. And while we're averaging 3 million shots in arms per day, uh, the 25 million supports actually that level and even accelerating. And we just sent out 28 million doses today, or announced 28 million doses will be sent this week. The states, tribe, territories, and through our federal channels. So we have plenty of supply to continue our vaccination program and to hit our goals. But over to Dr. Fauci.
8: I believe your question is, did we pull the trigger too soon on this because it was such a rare event? Well, you know, our FDA is internationally known for their capability of making sure that we have the safest products out there. And that's what I meant when I said an abundance of caution. Uh, you want to make sure that safety is the important issue here. We are totally aware that this is a very rare event. We want to get this worked out as quickly as we possibly can. And that's why you see the word pause. In other words, you want to hold off for a bit and very well may go back to that, maybe with some conditions or maybe not. But we want to leave that up to the FDA and the CDC to investigate this carefully. So I don't think it was pulling the trigger too quickly.
1: And just a a logistical question more so than anything. The Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices is meeting tomorrow to discuss this. Why not try and meet today? I mean, is this not a moment to sort of drop everything and and
8: focus on this? Um, You know, I think you have to get people pulled together. I think tomorrow is not such a long wait. I mean, I'm sure they want to get everybody. There may be people who are not available. They want to get the full component of it.
3: Can you talk a little bit about the process in both deciding for this pause and sort of what comes next? Um, First off, did the White House have any advance notice of the issues with the J&J vaccine, and was there involvement from the White House in deciding this? Um, And how do you evaluate when to pause vaccines? Are we going to see more of these pauses in the future if more issues
8: pop up? Why don't you
9: do the first part, and I'll do the second part.
8: Um, This decision was made by the CDC and the FDA, And that's one of the things that's, I think, such a good thing about our system here is that we're ruled by the science, not by any other consideration. So the decision was really thoroughly made by the CDC and the FDA.
9: And I'd say consistent with following the science, we were notified last night that there would be an announcement uh, this morning and therefore had no other involvement uh, other than knowing last night that there would be an announcement this morning from the
8: FDA and the CDC. And and in this review, what's going to happen? What are
0: they looking for?
3: What are they evaluating? When should we expect a conclusion?
8: Well, they want to see if there's any clues of other things going on. Were there any underlying... For example, if they're going to... Just a hypothetical. If they're going to make a decision to go forward and say, you know, we looked at this. If they find some common denominators among the women... Who were involved that might be synergizing and essentially uh, enabling this type of an adverse event, they may know that for those who don't have that, it may be much safer. There may be clues when you go down and really get granular about every single case. In addition, they want to look at what some of the mechanisms are. The mechanisms may give some insight as to what is going on.
3: And should we expect to potentially see further pauses in the future? I mean, could this keep happening with the vaccines because they're so new?
8: Well, you know, if you look at the history of... Take a look at what has gone on with the Moderna and the Pfizer, where you have, you know, literally tens and tens and tens of millions. This watched us carefully. There have been no red flags. When you have a red flag of something that is as serious as thrombotic thrombocytic penia. Uh, particularly when you have an individual, one of whom died, you take that seriously. So I don't think that minimal things that very likely have nothing at all to do with the vaccine, that we're going to pull the trigger so quickly as to keep stopping and stopping and stopping. I think this is an unusual occurrence of a serious adverse event that you want to make sure before you go forward, you investigate it thoroughly. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're pausing so that they can look at it more carefully.
1: You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
0: You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.